Thinking back today, I was reminded of many Fourth of Julys in years past. Uh, I can remember some, something about Fourth of Julys. You can remember them. I guess it's the picnics, may, picnics maybe, uh, the, the fireworks that we remember, going to people's homes and, and just having a, a lot of people over and having a wonderful time on the Fourth of July. brings back a lot of memories. I remember when I was, I think, uh, 10 or 11 years old, a special 4th of July, Seven, uh, 1976 it was, and it was the bicentennial. Anybody remember that? Uh, the bicentennial, uh, and, and uh, I lived on the biggest Air Force base in the world, I guess, uh, still is, and I, you, can, you can imagine we had a wonderful celebration on the bicentennial 200th anniversary of the signing of the Decla Declaration of Independence, and I remember that very well. As a, as a young young boy. I remember all the fanfare, the parades, and it was not just one day thing, it was a whole week thing where I lived, and, and just a wonderful time celebrating uh, the freedoms that we have as a nation and the independence that we have. And, and then when I think about that, I, I remember uh, living overseas, uh, overseas in different countries, and living on a, on a, a, um, a military base in a different country, and I, I remember uh, every day at 7 in the morning and also at 4 in the afternoon, they would play the national anthem. And you would have, you would, whatever you were in, in football practice or whatever we were doing, we stopped football practice and turned towards the flag and stood there to listen to our national anthem. That happened every day, every day, 7 in the morning. Every day at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, on the dome. I remember also when I played football, and I've shared this story with you before, and it really made me think a lot about the independence that I had as a young person. I remember we played football, and we played, uh, our, our team was the Zweibrücken Trojans in, in, in Germany. The Zweibrücken, that means two bridges in German. The Zweibrücken Trojans went to play the Berlin Bears in East Berlin. And to get to that to Berlin from where I lived in, in um, Western Germany, you had to go through Eastern Germany and also go through the wall, the Berlin Wall, to get to play a game. And so we boarded, we boarded the bus, or, or the train actually, a bus to the train, and we boarded the train that night and was on the train all night until we got to Berlin the next day to play a football game. And I remember as, as early in the morning, it wasn't quite uh, daylight yet, we were going through uh, the, there, the checkpoint at the Berlin Wall. And I remember as, as a 15-year-old boy playing football, looking out, getting up, and all of us, all us guys got up and looked out the window of the train, and I see kids not much older than us, if any older than us, out there with machine guns guarding the Berlin Wall. I remember the impact it had on me as a young person. And I never seemed to take for granted as often my independence and my, my liberty I have in this country. Uh, that was something that I think back on often. Uh, just when I think about what we take for granted sometimes in our country. And it makes the 4th of July even more special me. Well, today I want us to look back 
in the Old Testament, in the book of Joshua. And, but before I, we, you can turn there, but I want to remind you of one scripture that's one of my favorite scriptures. And actually it was on my wall when I was growing up as a kid, a poster that said this, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, many of us know it might be some of our favorite verse, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You see, um, this is a wonderful verse. And so today, I would, we look around and we see on our coins, on our money, and some of our, so if you have it on our tags, on our, the back of our car, it says, in God we trust, doesn't it? In God we trust. I also saw a bumper sticker yesterday that made me stop and pray for the person who drove this car. It was in Winn-Dixie parking lot when I was going in. And the car said, the bumper sticker was right in the back. It said, no need for a God. No need for a God. I almost took a picture of it to put up here, but... It had other bumper stickers on it, too. No need for a God. And I prayed right there for the person who put that on that car. Because whether they realize it or not, even now, one day they're going to see they needed a God. They needed someone to save them for their sins. Because when they stand in front of a holy and righteous God, the only thing that we can plead is the blood of Jesus Christ to be made right with a holy God. I fear, though, as a nation, we might want to put sometimes in there. In God, we sometimes trust. In my life, I think that's probably true. In God, I sometimes trust. Maybe I'm the only one, but sometimes I trust in myself a little too much. Sometimes I trust in men a little too much, other people. Sometimes we trust in our abilities, we trust in our finances, we trust in all kinds of other things, our strength that we think we have, instead of trusting fully, like the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. So as we turn over here to uh, this, this scripture in, in Joshua, I want to first draw our attention to Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Joshua chapter 6 through 1 through 5. Joshua chapter 6, we see a great victory that the Israelites had. Many of us know it very well. They were at Jericho, and they, they, they experienced a great victory. So I just want to read Joshua 6, verses 1 through 5, recapping this victory that they had. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. Just one second. Why is it shut up? And no one was going or coming from Jericho. The reason is, they had heard about the God of Israel. They have heard that the God of Israel parted the sea, and they came across. They have heard that the God of Israel was someone that they didn't want to reckon with, and they had heard that the Israelites were on their side of the river. And they were afraid. And so they shut up the city. They were, they were shut up kind of like we were last year. Nobody was coming and going except they had 
great walls, and nobody could go inside or outside the wall. And then verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given you Jericho into your hand, with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus, thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. And on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow their trumpets. And when they make a loud, long blast with their ram's horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpets, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Wow. And you know, you can read the rest of that chapter, chapter 6, and you want to know what the Israelites did in Joshua? They did exactly what the Lord had commanded them. They walked around the city once a day. Uh, and can you imagine that? Can you imagine these Joshua, the great leader of the army, the great one that's been battle-proven, and all these men of valor, fighting men? What are you saying? We're just going to march around a city? And we're going to let the instrumentalist and the priest play a trumpet? What about the swords? What about all the other things that we, we're trained to do? But they did it. They did exactly what the Lord said, even though in their mind it didn't make any sense. In their understanding of war, this sure wasn't the way you take down a fortified city like Jericho with its great walls. But they obeyed God. And God told them, the city of Jericho is dedicated to me, and you should not take any of the spoils, none of the things that you get. Uh, the, the silver and gold will go in the treasury, but nobody shall take anything. Everything in the city is what should be destroyed. And you know what? The walls came tumbling down, and the only person who was saved in the whole city was Rahab, the prostitute who helped, you know, helped them out. Just like the God said they did. Well, the text we will be exploring more today occurs immediately after the Jericho experience. The great victory that Joshua and the Israelites experienced at Jericho, this is right on its heels. It is where they saw God miraculously deliver them, this highly fortified city of Jericho, and then they're going to go to the next city to, to fight it. They saw the walls of Jericho crumble with just the shout of victory from the people. But now they're going to a little less fortified city down the road, one that's not near as big or great as Jericho. Well, let's look at what happens next in the life of Joshua and the Israelites. This next episode is found in the next chapter, chapter 7, and where we're going to read. And we're going to see exactly what happens. Now, let's read verses 2 through 9 of Joshua chapter 7. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Bethel, and said, Go up to them, go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let 
Only about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gates as far as Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people of Israel melted and became as water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the Lord until the evening. He and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Why, why that would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan? O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and the, all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut us off, our name off from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? Dear friend, right on the hills of this victory comes defeat. They experienced the thrill of victory, and now they're experiencing the agony of defeat. The agony of defeat. They're experiencing trouble, aren't they? They're experiencing a great trouble as a nation. Right on the hills of a great victory. The first thing I want you to notice in the scripture we just read is that in the passage here, Joshua and the people become dis dis distracted. They're distracted. Distractions come to the people of God. Distractions can even come to nations, can't they? We're distracted from really where our, our victory lies. We're distracted from looking to God for his way of doing things. A lot of times on the hills of a great victory, we can become distracted. In 1 Chronicles 21, we see, we see David. We, read, we did this a few weeks ago, didn't we? David became distracted, didn't he? It said in the springtime, as men went off to war, our kings went off to war, David remained in Jerusalem. He became distracted, and David failed to seek God's guidance in his life at this time. We talked about this a few weeks ago. And he stayed behind instead of leading his people to battle. You see, we're all prone to being distracted. There are times we're distracted by trials or losses in our lives, a loss of a job maybe, a loss of a family member or a loved one, the pressures of everyday life, the pressures of parenting, or simply sometimes for the many burdens that we're called to face each day. We become, can become distracted and not look to the Lord and trust in Him every day of our life. You see, this happened also to Elijah, the great prophet, immediately following the victory at Mount Carmel. When God rained down fire from heaven in 1 Kings 18, we see Elijah become distracted. And the next thing we see him, the next scene we see him is under a broom tree crying out, Oh God, take my life, for I am the only one left. You see, we can become distracted on the hills of victories. We can become distracted on the hills of hard times in our life. Likewise, here Joshua became distracted after the great victory that 
he and the, the Israelites experienced there at Jericho. And after God delivered the great Jer city of Jericho into the hands of the Israelites, Joshua then fails to continually to seek after God's guidance for the next step of the journey. Joshua becomes distracted. Dear friend, have you become distracted in your life? Are you seeking God for each step of your life? Are you looking to him like we read, trust in the Lord and all, with all your heart and in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Dear friend, it's so easy like Joshua and the Israelites here to become distracted. But second, I want you to notice in the passage that Joshua also becomes disillusioned. Disillusioned. Joshua here, we see in verse 3, the verse states, they returned to Joshua and said to him, do not take all the people and go up. Only about two or 3,000 need to go up. Don't make all the people toil and go up to the city because they are few. They're not much to them. Don't, don't send everybody. Just send two or 3,000 mighty men. You know, in human... In our human understanding, that's not a bad thing, is it? I mean, gosh, they just defeated the great city of Jericho and nobody even unsheathed a weapon. <laughs> but here they go to Ai, a much less fortified city, much smaller, and they're thinking, well, we can do this. We can do this. We don't even need all of our army. Just two or 3,000 should be enough. We go up and take care of Ai. They won't be any problem for us. Do you see the problem? Do you see the disillusionment? They're disillusioned because God gave them the victory before, didn't he? Had nothing to do with them. But now this little city, oh, we can take care of that. Dear friend, it happens to the best of them in the Bible, doesn't it? How about Samson? Samson was a great, strong warrior, wasn't he? And he failed to recognize in the middle of his life where his strength really lay. They cut off his hair and his strength left him because that was a, a sign of his, his commitment to God. You see, God took away his strength for a time. And Samson became disillusioned with his greatness. With a help, little bit of help from Delilah, but it happened, didn't it? Samson had his hair cut off and resulted in the loss of his strength. And he was captured. His eyes were gouged out. And he was placed in shackles. But listen to Samson's heartfelt cry to God in Judges 16, 28. Samson cries out, Lord, God, please remember me. Strengthen me. God, just once more. He cries out. And God did, didn't he? But Samson became disillusioned. And I think the people of Israel here became disillusioned in their own power, their own greatness. And the other place, they wouldn't even come out and in because they were so scared of them. We must be something else. They became disillusioned and failed to look to God for the strength they needed to fight the battle of Ai. Third, 
Oh, and then Paul, just remember Paul, what he urges us in Ephesians 6.10. Be strong in the Lord, he says, and in the strength of his might. That's where our strength lies. Dear friend, have you failed to recognize God as your, the strength of your life today? Have you become disillusioned? Third, I want you to notice the devastation that Joshua and the Israelites experienced. The army confidently went into battle with the inhabitants of Ai. However, the battle had a much different outcome than they expected and a much different outcome than the Battle of Jericho. The Israelite army was devastated at Ai. In the scripture, we are told that 3,000 men went up, so uh, he didn't go with the lower number. He went with the higher number, but unfortunately didn't ask God about it, but he went with the higher number, Joshua did, and they were defeated. It said that they ran from the people of Ai. They were sent to the battle and retreated in fear. In addition to retreating in fear, 36 of their warriors were killed in the mission. This devastated Joshua and the people. You may think, well, 36 not a bad percentage, really, if you're fighting a battle. Well, Jericho was zero, not even a scratch, <laughs> relying on God. One is too many in a battle to lose, but they lost 36, and they became devastated, devastated. On the hills of this great victory, and, and they're rejoicing, here they are in Ai, after Ai, the first time, they're devastated. Hmm. Well, the, the fourth thing I want you to notice is Joshua becomes discouraged. He becomes discouraged. Notice how, notice how the scripture records it in the narrative there. After the Israelites experienced devastation and defeat, in, in, in 7 verse 5, it says, As a result, the people's hearts melted and became like water. The dictionary defines discouragement as to deprive of all courage, hope, or confidence. Dishearten, dispirit. Well, that's exactly what happened to the Israelites right after this. They became discouraged. I love the way it says that their hearts melted and became like water. Well, that's a picture, a word picture of great discouragement. Their hearts melted and became like water. We see this earlier in Joshua a few times, but it had nothing to do with the Israelites. It had to do with their, their upcoming enemies, maybe. Their foes were, their hearts melted. We see it back in Joshua 2, verses 9 through 11. Joshua 2 says this, And, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the, the land, and that the fear of you has fallen upon us. This is Rahab, I think, talking to them. And that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how your Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea before you when it came out of Israel, and what you did to the king, two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. This is one of the inhabitants of Jericho. Our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any of our men because of you. 
For the Lord your God, he is, the, he is God in the heavens and above the earth. So here we see the people of Jericho's hearts melting. We see it again in Joshua 5, verse 1. It says, as soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over it, their hearts melted and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. So see, prior to this, we see their enemies' hearts melting, their enemies becoming discouraged. And now, on the hills of Ai in the defeat, we see Israel, the Israelites, and Joshua, their hearts melted like water. We all encounter times of discouragement in our lives. There are times when we lose heart. Life sometimes is overwhelming. Today, have you lost heart? Have you experienced discouragement in your life? Are you experiencing it now? It is important to realize that discouragement can quickly turn into despair. When I hear the word despair, I remember growing up too as a kid watching Hee Haw. Anybody watch Hee Haw growing up? If you're, if you're old, you might, I'm older, older or my age, I guess. Hee Haw said this, gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck of, at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. And they, they go, whoa, don't they? Uh, during, the, during all that. I remember that a lot when I was a kid. And when I think of the word despair, it, it takes me back to that. Some of us may be in dis- despair today. Our, you know, we've become distracted. We've been disillusioned, we've suffered a defeat in our life of some sort, we've been become discouraged, and now we might be in the very despair we're talking about here. The dictionary defines despair as a total loss of hope. Listen to the despair once again in, the, in, in Joshua's voice as he cried out, Alas, O God! Why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan only to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. He's saying not even go to the promised land. O Lord, what can I say since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and they will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And then the great question, and what will you do for your great name? Joshua had quickly fallen into a place of total despair. He lost all hope. So does the scripture say anything here about what answer is to his question? If you're in despair, is there any hope for you today? Well, of course there is, isn't there? Let's look at what Joshua discovered. God helps Joshua discover the reasons for the distraction and disillusionment and devastation and discouragement and despair. Joshua discovered that there was hidden sin in the camp, didn't he? And this, this hidden sin in one person in the camp's life 
caused all this trouble. But also Joshua caused it his, the trouble too because he's not relying upon God each step of his way here. Let's read further in this story and see what it says. Let's read 10 through 13 now. Joshua 7, 10 through 13. And the Lord said to Joshua, Get up! Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Get up, consecrate the people and say, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for thus says the Lord God of Israel, there are devoted things in your midst, O Israel. You cannot stand before your enemies until you take away the devoted things from among you. Yeah, we see here in verse 10 that God gets Joshua's attention. God does not want us to stay in the, the state of despair. He wants to get our attention. He begins by telling Joshua, get up. This is not what I called you to do. Get up. Well, today I pray that the Lord gets our attention today also. Second, we not only see that he gets Joshua's attention, God reveals the cause of the trouble that they are experience, have experienced. The people of Israel, is, sin is revealed to Joshua. You see, some of the spoils from Jericho weren't left there and destroyed like God commanded them. They were taken. And this was a direct disobedience to what God commanded them. God's instruction was that everything was to be set apart for the destruction for the Lord. This is referred to sometimes as a ban. And sometimes God initiated a ban on the spoils of certain cities. In this case... God commanded that everything in the city of Jericho be placed under the ban. We see this in Joshua 6, verses 17 through 18. If you look there, you see this, this scripture says, But the city, and every, and the city of Jericho and everything in it are set apart to the Lord for destruction. But keep yourselves from the things set apart, or you will be set apart for destruction. If you take any of those things, you will set apart the camp of Israel for destruction and bring disaster on it. Well, God commanded it clearly, didn't he? It wasn't something that just took them by surprise. No, God commanded clearly that nothing should be taken from Jericho. But God reveals here to Joshua the cause of the trouble he had experienced was that someone had taken something. The Lord reveals to Joshua that the people were guilty of violating the ban. Third, we see here, the Lord explains the situation as it is. Sin is the reason that the people have experienced such trouble. The destruction that Israel was facing was directly caused by the sin. However, verse 12 also reveals the hope of restoration. The scripture says, I will no longer be with you unless you remove from you what is set apart. God 
Ask them to consecrate themselves again to the Lord. And the, the next thing we see here is the Lord prescribes the solution to their trouble. The Lord provides the solution. If the people would find and remove their forbidden stash of bounty from the Lord's presence, the Lord's presence would once again return to the people of Israel. If we read the rest of the chapter there, we see that then Joshua takes, takes action and he asks all the, the tribes to come to them, all the clans, and then he picks the tribe, God shows him. He picks the, and then he has the clans of that tribe come before him. He picks the clans. Then he has all the families come before him and he picks the family. And then he has the man come to him. He prescribes the solution here. An Israelite named Achan was identified as the culprit. He was brought before Joshua to give an account of his transgressions. You see, the scripture reveals Joshua's dealings with Achan there in 17, or 7 verses 19 through 26. So let's read that. Joshua 7, 19 through 26. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan, Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them, and see they are hidden in the earth inside my tent, with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent, with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent, and brought them to Joshua, and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan and the son of Zerah, and the silver, and the cloak, and the bar of gold, and his sons, and daughters, and oxen, and donkeys, and sheep, and his tent, and all, all that he had. And they brought them up to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble to you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones, and they burnt them with fire and stones them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of the place is called the Valley of Achor. That's pretty intense, isn't it? Pretty intense. Sin is a serious thing to God, a holy God. We see that here. And Achan uh, totally disobeyed God, a clear direction from God, and kept these things. I want you to notice in this, this scripture, like a progression of sin in verse 21. In verse 21, I'll read it again. 
He said, when I saw among the spoils a beautiful cloak from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, then I coveted them and I took them and see they are hidden in, in the earth inside my tent. This verse captures the progression of sin in our lives. It could be, it, it, you could directly look at it in Genesis, Adam and Eve account, to, to how sin progresses in our lives today. Notice he saw. First he saw. Then he coveted. I coveted. I took. And then I hid. What a, what a progression of sin. We see. We covet. We take. This, this applies to David a few weeks ago too, Right? And we try to hide our sin. You say that's exactly what Achan had done here. In this scripture, we see three steps a person should take when hidden sin is disclosed in their life. First, we need to be confronted with our sin. Notice that Joshua confronted Achan and said, What have you done? And Achan says, I have sinned. And he tells him exactly what he had done, that he, he had taken these things and he had buried the stolen, stolen items in the ground inside his tent. You know, isn't that a kind of sad thing? He saw and coveted and took, but you don't really enjoy that, do it, does he? He buries it in his tent. Sin loses its enjoyment, doesn't it? He buries it in his tent. He can't show it to anybody. But he confesses his sin here. That's the second thing. We need to be confronted with our sin. And then we need to confess it. There may be sins that we have in our lives hidden. Who knows? There's definitely sin in our nation, isn't there? There's sin all around us. We don't even blush at sin anymore. Matter of fact, it is, it is lifted up. This is the way we should be, even in our country today. May God confront us with our sin. May we confess our sins to God. Confession brings forgiveness and cleansing to the sinner. We must agree with God that we have sinned and ask, cry out for his forgiveness. So confronted with our sin, confess our sin, and then we must remember there are consequences for our sin. There are consequences for sin, even, if, even when we're forgiven. We, we look at these, these consequences of Achan here and, and we, we think, oh my word, that's drastic. But God told them exactly what was going to happen if they did it. God told them the sin and he told them the punishment. Clearly. And the punishment, the, 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 the devastation was going to be on them instead of on the city. The same way. There's consequences for sin. God completely forgives and cleanses of her sin 
But there are sometimes consequences that we must face for our disobedience to God's word. In this case of Achan, God forewarned him of these severe consequences that would accompany anyone who disobeyed the ban. They, yes, they, ex, they seem extreme, but we also need to remember the extreme disobedience of Achan. Sin has extreme consequences. As Christians, we must never forget that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. What we get from sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has these extreme consequences. In the scripture, there is a play on words here that, that I want to mention before we close. A play on words here in the name of Achan and, the, and also the word trouble and also the name of Achor. The name Achan is very similar in the language of the word that says man of trouble. His name is very, very close to the word that says man of trouble. The name Achor, where they, this happened and they put piled up the stones, means the place of trouble. Joshua goes to him and says, why have you troubled us, man of trouble? And then the man of trouble is buried beneath a lot of rubble, <laughs> and, and they call the place the place of trouble. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path or make your path straight. So dear friend, have I, have I asked you today, who are you trusting? Are you trusting God to be the strength of your life, to fight your battles? Then you give him the glory for the victory you experience? Or are you relying upon yourself, trusting in your own merit? I want to close with Psalm 20, verses 1 through 2. A psalm of David, a song he wrote. It says, May the Lord answer you in the day of trouble. May the name of the God of Jacob protect you. May he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. Then verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses. But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Amen? In God we trust. Let's stand. Lord, we come before you today just wanting you to search our hearts, O oh God. Know our hearts today. Let us know if there's any wicked way in us 
Lord, help us turn to you. Ask forgiveness for our sins. Confess them freely to you. And make you the Lord of our life, even as we leave here today, we pray. Lord, our prayers go for our nation today. In God, we trust. We pray that this would be more than just something that is engraved on a bumper sticker or on our money. It would be the heart of the people of our country. Lord, I pray that you would use the church to send a great revival in our land like is happening in other parts of the world. Forgive us, Lord, for we're so self-sustaining for ourselves. Forgive us where we, we place our strength in our own abilities. Lord, forgive us for not trusting you every day in every way of our life. Take, have your will and way. In this time we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.